From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Taylor Burnett. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, a special edition focusing on mental health care across the state. I'll accept that mental illness and addiction are inevitable, or that some of these illnesses can't be prevented. People struggle finding mental health care in Southeast Ohio. A local organization works to increase access. We can't look at issues about uh, access to care, availability of services, cultural uh, competent care being received without exactly understanding how the healthcare workforce is made up. These stories and more right here on The Outlet. There is more awareness for mental health, especially after the pandemic. Ohioans still face increasing mental health challenges. WUB reporters Jack Green and Taylor Mondragon have more. When taking a look at mental health, we need to recognize what factors impact it and what steps are being taken to provide resources. Taylor Mondragon explains this on Newswatch. One of the major recent distinctions is life before and after 2020. Before the pandemic, the Kaiser Family Foundation found nearly 24% of Ohioans reported experiencing anxiety and depressive disorders. Today, that number has jumped to just over 33%, an almost 10% increase. We spoke to Dr. Christine Baugh, the newly elected president of the American Counseling Association, to understand this rise. There's more awareness these days, so people don't necessarily suffer in silence, but they speak up about some of the symptoms that they are having. But we can't ignore the fact that COVID has altered the way we view the world and has altered our relationships fundamentally. Alongside the negative impact of the pandemic, the increasing awareness of mental illness symptoms allows for additional and improved treatment options. Dr. Jay Fournier, the director of Mood and Anxiety Program at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, says awareness surrounding mental health is because people are beginning to feel more comfortable talking about their problems on social media. Are feeling comfortable disclosing uh, some struggles that they have experienced through social media. Fournier says through social media has helped create awareness around mental illness. The past three years, along with social media, has increased mental health problems. At the same time, I think there are there are challenges uh, to, to social media use. Um, you know, there, again, the research is, is, is showing that that's true, that it's linked to increased depression and anxiety, particularly in young people. Even with this increased awareness, Bot and Fournier says it's not enough. Unfortunately, they both recognize mental health resources aren't accessible to everyone because of insurance issues and the lack of care in parts of the state. Where we are in Appalachia, I think that we are really struggling to meet the demand of uh, qualified mental health practitioners. However, new governmental bills aim to remedy this. On a federal level, a new bill called the Mental Health Access Improvement Act is allowing those on Medicare to receive the mental health services they need. And back at home in Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine is allocating part of his newly proposed budget towards mental health care. I'll accept that mental illness and addiction are inevitable, or that some of these illnesses can't be prevented. This and other research opportunities will help us launch new discoveries about the brain and about resilience. It will help us understand the unique nature of mental health issues across Ohio's urban, suburban, rural, and Appalachian communities. Botten Fournier hope DeWine's budget will help bring resources to Appalachia and across the state. The hope is that we leverage that and continue to put resources behind, um, you know, 
various models and various ways of doing uh, remote mental health care. Uh, because it's just true that people don't, not everybody lives near uh, Columbus, right? Not everybody lives near um, uh, a large uh, you know, medical institution. Bod says, we know what our bodies need. And when it comes to our mental health, it is no different. She says two of the best ways to prevent mental illness is to hang out with loved ones or going outside just for 30 minutes. That was Taylor Mondragon for Newswatch, and I'm Jack Green for The Outlet. WUB reporter Madison Moore speaks with two mothers in the medical field about postpartum depression, an issue affecting a large percentage of new parents in the United States. <laughs> That's the sound of 32-year-old Kaylin Browning and her five children playing at Civitan Park in Belpre, Ohio. Browning is originally from Coolville, Ohio, and has spent her last seven years working as a postpartum birth doula guiding parents through their postpartum journey. Like many mothers in the U.S., Browning went through her own postpartum battles, inspiring her to help other mothers in Southeast Ohio. Postpartum life is very intense, very, very intense. Postpartum depression is a form of depression that can occur after childbirth, caused by hormonal changes, affecting a mother or father's emotions, mood, and ability to take care of their baby. Symptoms can include feelings of anger or irritability, feelings of guilt or hopelessness, and lack of interest in the baby or yourself. Browning says postpartum depression can easily go unnoticed. There's so much emphasis on, oh, when can I come and see the baby? When can I come and see the baby? But, like, the baby's doing just fine. You know, the baby has the parents there who are giving their heart, soul, sweat, and tears. It's the parents that need the support. The parents really need so much support rallied around them. Um, they need meals. They need people to be checking in frequently on how they're doing. They need people to just come in and say, hey, I'm going to fold your laundry for you. Hey, I'm going to come in and take your older kids and take them out for the day. Um, what can I do? Can I go get your groceries for you? Things like that. That's what parents really need, and we don't see that enough. Despite advancements in postpartum awareness, the issue is still stigmatized. Emily Lauda, a nurse midwife at Oblinus Hospital, reminds patients that postpartum depression is normal. But I think people are afraid to talk about it. It's work that is very personal for Lotta, who suffered from postpartum anxiety after giving birth to her child. And there's a sense of embarrassment and shame around it. And I want people to feel okay saying that they need help. According to Postpartum Support International, postpartum depression affects 15% of women. Add poverty into the mix, and that number is even higher. When your day-to-day -day life is surviving, your mental health is an afterthought. You're not going to be as, as inclined to reach out and ask for help or take the time to go to an appointment because, or even ask for a medicine because you're worried about affording milk for your kids, let alone buying a prescription or putting gas in your car to go to a doctor. Lotta says financial stress can contribute to poor moods and her office does a lot to support their patients. Usually, if a woman has an uncomplicated pregnancy, they will not be seen until six weeks after birth, but that's not the case at Oblenis. Our office standard is to see people at at least three weeks postpartum, mostly to check in on moods. 
um, six weeks is a heck of a long time to struggle. And for as long as I've been affiliated with this practice, um, it's been a priority to bring people back quickly so we can help identify any struggles that somebody might be having. Lotta gives a postpartum screening questionnaire called EPDS, which identifies depression and anxiety at the patient's first OB appointment and first three-week postpartum visit. From there, she talks with her patients, and they come up with a game plan. We talk contextually. Is this a scenario basis or is this as a whole? And what would, what would you feel comfortable with? Um, is it medicine? Is it therapy? Or do you simply need to have a talk with your partner and your family to say, I need more help? If patients feel overwhelmed by their situation, Oblenis has community health workers who will schedule appointments and help with any patient need. For the outlet, I'm Madison Moore in Athens. People in Appalachia may find it difficult to find mental health care. Andre Norrells tells us about his conversation with the directors of a local research institute with the goal to make health care available everywhere. Both directors of the Appalachian Institute to Advance Health Equity Science, or ADVANCE, emphasized how important it is to expand access to health care to rural America, while also finding ways to diversify the workforce. One of the directors saying the organization looks into ways to reduce the barriers to health care. Corey Cronin of ADVANCE and other researchers take a population health approach, the idea that access to care is easier to achieve for some and not others. Cronin says they mostly have a focus on the Appalachian region's access to care, while also taking the workforce into account. Workforce is often one of the key components of projects that we look at. We can't look at issues about uh, access to care, availability of services, cultural uh, competent care being received without exactly understanding how the healthcare workforce is made up. Advance has partnered with other organizations and universities to do research to understand what Ohio's mental and behavioral health field looks like and who has access to it. The group recently released Report 204, which focuses on the behavioral health workforce. Berkeley Franz, the Associate Director of Advance, says the recent report's findings were presented at the State House to make a recommendation of what needs to change and hopes it can influence policy changes in the future. We found that across many different behavioral health disciplines that people of color are much less likely to advance throughout their career to some of these higher or more advanced levels of practice. Um, and so we were making recommendations for you know why this is the case. One of the recommendations focused on pipeline programs, so kind of earlier interventions to encourage people of color to kind of seek out professions um, related to behavioral health. The group is working on the third and fourth installments of the report right now, and those will focus on treatment outcomes and funding. For more information on this research, go to mhaadvocacy.org. For the outlet, I'm Andre Norrells. WUB reporter Emma Dollenmayer talks to Athens schools about increasing support for behavioral challenges in the wake of the pandemic. The landscape of education is very much changing. Kat Harrelson, a former Columbus City Schools employee, is helping change behavior responses in Athens City classrooms. I work with schools to support students who are having challenges and a lot of dysregulation in the district and also working with teachers to help 
look at ways we can support those students to be more successful. Her position is the first of its kind in the district, created as a response to children's atypical behavior heightened by the pandemic. Athens City Schools Superintendent Tom Gibbs says the district is focusing more on behavioral health after seeing a 3 to 4 percent increase in students needing serious behavioral support. Uh, we use some ESSER funds actually, some American Recovery Plan funds to fund a position that's behavior analyst type position. The position requires Harrelson to complete behavioral assessments through observation, identify areas that may be of greater concern, and write behavior improvement plans for students with principals and teachers. We're building the plane while we're flying it. Uh, most districts don't have a position of that nature, and so we're kind of developing what the, what the nature of that position is um, over the course of the year. Harrelson says the biggest obstacle right now, though, while still navigating the newly implemented position, is engaging families in the conversation surrounding a child's behavioral health in and outside of the classroom. It is a struggle because there's still that taboo of mental, you know, we don't need those services. Or also, we don't have time because maybe two, family, two parents are working and so they don't know how to go about getting connected with those services. To help better connect families with needed services, Athens City Schools has a new partnership with Ohio Rise. The program is part of Governor Mike DeWine's push to improve equal access to behavioral health care for Ohioans. Harrelson hopes this new focus from state leaders and the school district will help her build and maintain relationships with the students, families, and the community. I'm hoping that we are going to get to, to a capacity where we are able to support those relationships and, and help to be more proactive. It's just right, right now, it's after following the pandemic, it's, it seems a little more reactive than it has in the past. Yeah. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Emma Dollenmayer. Athens High School has increased support for all mental health issues among students. Jack Dimmler speaks with the principal about increased support in staff. At Athens High School, Principal Chad Springer is being more proactive about getting students the support they need when it comes to their mental health. They added a third counselor to their staff over the summer, which, according to Springer, has increased the response time and has been beneficial to have someone on hand at any given time. The, the sheer amount is still high. We've seen some students overcome and adapt um, through a variety of working with staff, working with our school counselors, or having outside, having outside mental health counseling. Outreach from peers is helping too, like a session last December between about 80 upperclassmen and an alum, Wyatt Cooper, whose brother died of an overdose. Cooper was joined by three other college-aged individuals to talk with students about various aspects surrounding mental health. What was supposed to be just an hour? It went into two hours because it was just the reality of use, abuse, unhealthy coping, um, body image included, and self self reflection, self you know what people self esteem, and people related to that extremely well. The the amount of feedback students gave me was was unbelievable. Not only was the conversation well received by students but it was also well received by the staff members who were in attendance. It's like a really um, important piece of the puzzle that I feel like is really tricky to reach students at a level that they really understand um, and can relate to. So 
that conversation, I'm just so eternally thankful that it happened. The talk encouraged Springer to keep that conversation going to his staff so they can better help address mental health concerns. This problem is not going away and having a better educated staff is going to help. Another reason for educating their staff on how to deal with mental health cases comes from the concern about the lack of personnel. In his State of the State address, Governor DeWine discussed an added emphasis on providing more funding for mental health professionals in all districts. However, while Springer is grateful for the added support, he fears it won't be enough. Providing money to schools is, is great, don't get me wrong, to get personnel, but when the in the area, personnel are not available. So if our mental health providers don't have personnel to fill the capacity that's needed, you know, the money is not going to help a lot. Other schools are implementing various other programs to address mental health concerns. Over at Eastern High School, administrators implemented a student assistance planning committee to talk about students who get referrals from parents and teachers and address their needs. The committee pulls all sorts of resources they have, such as school counselors and Hopewell counselors, in order to help these kids. According to SAP coordinators Gay Neal Lane and counselor Cheryl Rausch, the committee has been successful and they expect it to continue to grow. Principal Garrett Hall says their goal is to promote open and honest communication. Anybody in, in the education profession, I don't care if you're a cook, a custodian, whoever, it is your job to always try to maintain a positive environment and build relationships. Hall said they also work with kids through social education learning programs to teach them skills to help deal with mental health concerns. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Jack Demler. WUB reporter Juliana Colant explains the benefits of having peer support with mental health issues and how organizations can help make those connections. Sometimes you need someone who has gone through what you're going through, and that's what peer recovery organizations provide. So in a nutshell, there are peer recovery organizations throughout uh, the state of Ohio who uh, provide recovery support services to individuals in recovery from a mental health disorder or a substance use disorder. Here in Athens County, The Gathering Place offers help to those in need. It is one of more than 50 organizations in the state. People with mental illness can become a member of the organization, and for many, it becomes a part of their daily routine where they can interact with others, have home-cooked meals, and participate in activities. Not every community across the state has that. Within these organizations are peer recovery supporters, who is someone with lived experience that can help others and is certified in the state of Ohio. Richard Otto, a certified peer recovery supporter at The Gathering Place, says the goal is not to act as a medical professional. You're not a clinical person. You're not one to tell them how to live their life or give advice. Instead, PRSs look for things to support and give guidance in a judgment-free, safe environment. If you have a psychiatrist or you have a caseworker or, you know, uh, something along those lines, they may tell you, you know, you need to take this medication, they label you. And something is missing. You're not really connecting, connecting. But in a safe environment like the gathering place, they can. Uh, make some waffles and next thing I know they're talking about their parents, you know, and you know, sometimes it's like crying in the kitchen. Having lived experience himself, Richard can use that to support others. You know, I really wish I could go back to college 
and I'm like, there's a goal right there, and I fully support you going back to college. Now, what do we need to get there? Now, as part of Governor DeWine's proposed budget, peer recovery organizations could be getting more support financially and certification practices improved for PRSs. So that every community can have great places like the gathering place. Because from a community perspective. If you didn't have the gathering place, if you didn't have PRSs, I think it, you'd be doing a disservice to the community. Reporting for The Outlet, I'm Juliana Colant in Athens. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, Taylor Burnett, and my assistant producer, Caleb McCluskey. We're edited by Atish Baidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Enjoy our show? Tell a friend to give us a listen. They can subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. Or find us online at wub.org. They can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore wub and Instagram at newswatch underscore WUB. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio.